It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. Here's Michelle, but I am not alone. Looking forward to the broadcast today because there is great unrest in the world. But with great unrest comes great hope. We will be looking for the God story in the news of the day. And it comes, I would say, in remembering. And you may remember that we have a regular guest that joins us, and he is Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. Our beloved rabbi joins us again with A View from Jerusalem. And now A View from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. Thank you, Michelle. I almost forgot. (laughs) Well, it's extraordinary uh, times that we're in right now and extraordinary unrest in Israel since the November elections. I want to set the stage for our listeners and viewers and readers. There have been, as of late, if you haven't heard, massive protests of thousands in the streets. Jerusalem's main airport has closed. Uh, The embassy to uh, Israel of the United States also closed just Monday, just a couple of days ago, in response to a strike that was called for by Israel's largest labor union. So this is... It it is absolutely, uh, must be crazy, because it looks like absolute mayhem from a view from the United States. We're going to see what the view from Jerusalem looks like. And can we find a message of hope in it all? And I say yes. Uh, What say you, Rabbi? I'm I'm with you. (laughs) Let's let's set the the record straight. Um, There is unrest here. There is tension like there hasn't been internally in quite a while. But there's also no question that Israel will not only survive, but it'll survive with a stronger democracy than it had before. There's nobody in Israel who doesn't want democracy, except a few anarchists. But everyone on both sides wants democracy. And by now, The vast majority of people recognize that there has to be some change to the judicial uh, system, to the the fact that the the judiciary here has no checks and balances whatsoever, but we'll be okay. As Bibi Netanyahu, and you don't have to like him to understand the beauty of the statement, said when he finally gave in and said, we're going to pause the legislation for a couple of months and try to come up with something that both sides can live with, he made the following observation that, yes, there have been for 12 weeks massive demonstrations. They don't amount to half the country or anything close to it, but they've been considerable and they include some very uh, respected people in high places. But he said, you'll notice one thing about the warring camps. Uh, they both carry Israeli flags. Oh. The of both sides is the same. That means that there's still enough unity in the Israeli people that they may consider the other side dead wrong about what kind of state they want, but they all want the Jewish state here. And that is what's going to carry us carry us forward. We we will be we will be okay. Well, I, I think one of the... The airport was closed just for a few hours. Everything is back to normal. Okay. 
and that's have anything like the BLM riots that we had in the States a couple of years ago. And I think that's the problem, Rabbi, is that we are in the United States viewing what's happening in in Israel through the lens of our own uh, bigotry and problems and uh, division. We, we are looking at it as a extreme right, extreme left uh, that, that we have here and not realizing that it is an entirely different animal. It, it, it is at the same time that there, there really is some overlap in, in many areas and finding those areas of overlap are important, especially if you want to pick up the God story and figure out what's going on. Because much of the tension here, much of the tension is about something that exists in the United States at the moment to the exact same degree. It's two visions of what the country should be. As one person in the, the opposition, the, the opposition to the government, the people who are protesting said, the way we see it, it's the state of Tel Aviv against the Jewish state. And Tel Aviv is one of the most secular uh, cities in Israel. Unfortunately, that's sometimes the only place that American visitors come and see, except mm-hmm. for listeners to the show who make a beeline for Jerusalem and see a very different, uh, different Israel there. Even in Tel Aviv, this most secular of cities, where you do have many, many people who are committed secularists and and don't want to have anything to do with the past. The past, that's where remembrance comes in. Uh-huh. Anything to do with the past and are committed to a totally secular kind of existence. Europe didn't work out for us for 2,000 years, neither did North Africa, so finally we have a place in the sun where we can live as completely liberated, secular Jews. And this Jewish stuff kind of scares us. In the last election, finally, after after four previous attempts, there finally was a nice-sized majority on the side of tradition, religion, Jewish nationalism, and it scares the people on who have looked to the Israeli Supreme Court as the last bulwark against people, frankly, like you and me, who are committed to to God, the word of God, who see something very positive in absolute values that that are are in the Judeo-Christian religion. It scares them. They have to be listened to because they're part of the Jewish nation also. But fears have been exaggerated by by opportunists, at least in my view, opportunists in the opposition. People who will use this this fear of some people looking for the secular Jewish state, that they're being overrun by these religious and nationalist fanatics. to why isn't people. it the other way around, though? Why why aren't we hearing that uh, these religious people are being overrun by these secularists? For exactly the same reason, Michelle, that we don't hear in the United States, and we didn't for all those years, that all of the values that were subscribed to by at least half of Americans were being trampled and torn asunder from people 
through many years of the liberal establishment and the creation of a new secular America where religious values were viewed with contempt. Why weren't people saying this is outrageous? This is we need we need equity of 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 different opinions out there because because the academic world and the media are controlled by people of a different point of view who are not so democratic in allowing the same privilege to those they disagree with. It's exactly the same thing in the United States and in Israel. And to our parent, no matter which a party of people, whichever tribe is shutting out the other voices. And we've seen it from in, in throughout history from more conservative viewpoints where all other ideas, no one else is welcome to the table. And what that causes is uh, extreme frustration. It can lead to violence, that kind of division and oppression, no matter where it comes from. Uh, another issue that I wanted to talk about before we get to the deeper God story and, and finding how remembrance might be part of our salvation. Uh, for uh, A lot of us here don't completely grasp the infrastructure of the judicial system in Israel or even the government. Uh, it's a democracy, but not quite, I mean, similar to the United States as a democracy, but there are some, some differences. And what, from what I understand with the judicial system, you're looking for checks and balances and people are saying, whoa, whoa, no, this is scary checks and balances. Um, and th you have more of a, a liberal mindset that, that fears that. And yet that's really what we have here. So it's not hard to understand that we have checks and balances so that we don't have a judicial system that just goes off a rail and does that whatever they want. Although sometimes it feels like they go off the rail and do whatever they want. <laughs> right. So there, there, there are two parts to this. One is that for the people in lots of the country, for people who, the old timers who grew up with a very liberal view of what Israel was supposed to was supposed to be, which would somewhat tolerate Jewish expression, but not really embrace it, they are scared stiff of basically demographics, not the, the, the democracy issue. And they looked to the judiciary as the only part of the government, of the three parts of the government that we have in every Western, every Western government. They looked to the judiciary to be the bulwark, protecting them from the will of the unwashed masses. And now that the unwashed masses have become the majority, they are scared stiff. And they're not so concerned with the fine print about whether this is excessive, whether it should be, why there are no checks and balances on the judiciary. But they say, this is our last hope. Otherwise, otherwise the barbarians at the gate are ready to destroy, destroy what we have here. So the judiciary has to be free, especially in matters of of human rights, which, by the way, I agree with, and many people in the Orthodox community and the ultra-Orthodox community agree with. It was particularly frustrating to some of us that one of the things that the, the proposed changes 
to the judiciary included was an override of the Supreme Court by a simple majority. That would just be taking the imbalance now in the hands of the judiciary and moving it to the legislative, which is not good either. That's not what we have in the United States. It is true that in the United States, it's not an old boys club that appoints new justices to the Supreme Court, which it is in Israel. Mm. On the other Alan Dershowitz, who's a liberal, Professor Alan Dershowitz at Harvard, observed, I'm not so sure that Israel should copy the United States. In the United States, the appointment of judges has become too political. I'm not so sure that that's the way to go either. What is clear is that right now it's imbalanced. And that imbalance was not always the case in Israel. For the first decades of Israeli life, there, um, the, 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 the Supreme Court functioned pretty much like Supreme Courts did in Western societies. In 1995, the Supreme Court of Aaron Barak, one individual, very brilliant guy, used to be the head of, I think it was Hebrew U Law School, the Tel Aviv Law School, started a judicial coup in which the powers of the judiciary were enlarged and got to the point where, as in the United States, there are a few hundred cases that are brought to the Supreme Court a, a year and not all of them get to be heard. In Israel, it's in the thousands, five to 7,000 cases of, uh, a year. Why? For two reasons. The Israeli Supreme Court said, we can judge everything, not just a narrow group of laws that happen to have, that have bearing on the constitution. In Israel, there is no constitution. So Aaron Barak basically said, everything is the constitution. Law is everything. And everybody has standing to bring a bring suit in the Supreme Court. You don't have to have any relation to the to the case. So that gave the judiciary the power to talk about everything. If the judiciary felt that a gas deal with Israel's offshore gas fields was not to their liking, because you know, like, how do you have a deal for so many years in the future when we're kind of obligating future generations. So they said, so the, the, it goes against the civil rights of the citizens, and they blocked a gas deal. That could never happen in the United States, but it does happen in Israel. And it happened through Aaron Barak, who when was asked, but Israel is supposed to be a Jewish and democratic country, what do you know about Judaism? He says, that has nothing to do with it. It's, that's that's the way we do it. So as a judge, I am obligated to judge Jewish matters. So the interviewer, secular Israeli said, do you believe in God? No. That was his quickest response. He doesn't believe in God. So how much how much Talmud have I ever learned? He said, you know, let's read to my consternation. I really haven't studied any of it. I really should. How much Mishnah have you studied? Well, Letzari, to my consternation, I haven't studied any of that either, but I really should. So he said, you know nothing about Judaism. How could you be judging in the court matters of Judaism? And he had no response. But that is where the court was starting 1995. Mm. That means 50 years Israel did not function that way. 
And this was a judicial coup that requires some walking back. I recall having a conversation when I taught at Loyola Law School with a justice of the U.S. Supreme Court who said to me, I don't remember the exact words, but he sardonically commented, he said, you know, your friends in Israel, they got quite a racket going there with their Supreme Court, and that they can judge anything. Now, that has to be corrected, but there, there were mistakes made, I believe, in the way this new legislation was presented. It was too quick, too radical. There were forces within the coalition that pushed it that were unhealthy forces. And now, hopefully, in the next couple of months, they'll be able to, they'll be able to, we hope, work something out. And they will if it if if we can get past certain uh, politicians who see this as an opportunity for topping the whole government and then stepping into the shoes of leadership. So again, Israel would be a great country were it not for the politician. <laughs> If we could have taxi drivers in Israel, <laughs> anybody comes and visits, you forget buses, take cabs and get involved in conversations with taxi drivers. They're the most sensible people in the country. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. Let me ask you, uh, we talked about remembrance. What role does remembrance or even lack of remembrance, how, how is that devastating? We do see that in, in every society. If you don't remember, you're doomed to repeat mistakes. But how is else's remembrance vital? Well, I, I think it's vital at least on, on, on two levels. And then I'm, I'm going to push you to see whether our, our thinking coincides. The, the, there are many people opposed to remembrance. You like the idea that, you know, we're not living in the past. We're living in the present. And whatever was, was. And we can put it behind us. If we want to remember, that's fine. If it gives us sort of a sense of historical rootedness. But let's not overdo it. We owe no obligation to the past. When you elevate remembrance to a commandment, which the Bible does. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, Zechor Yemos Olam, remember the days of the past. Shalavicha v'yagecha, speak to your father, to your fathers, and they will tell you. This somehow is important because a culture that is living just for the moment or for the moment and an unknown future, cannot really have any cohesion. It's the past, not just the lessons that we're to learn from the past, but the, the, the sense that, that time itself is a continuum where the past does place obligations upon the present. It is silly to believe that everything that was doesn't have lots of wisdom that can inform and 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 help us and guide us into where we should be and where we should be going. If you don't have that firm sense of rootedness in the past, it doesn't mean you don't change things. It doesn't mean time doesn't change, but it does mean that, at least in my opinion, I think that's the Bible's message, that a culture that doesn't live with the past, in the present, with an eye on the future, 
can't really make it. When Pharaoh told Moses, okay, okay, uncle, I give in. Not letting Pharaoh go yet, but if you only ask for three days, I'll let you go. But the only people who go are males over 20 till age 60. I forgot exactly what he said. And he said, those are the people who really engage in religious service. You don't need anybody else. And Moses says, no way. We're going with the kids and we're going with the elders because you need the elders to focus you of where you're going. And you need the kids in order to pass what you have onto the future. Without them, there's really no service of God. Well put. And a reminder as we go into Passover, uh, the celebration of Easter uh, for for those of us who are of the Christian faith. These are celebrations that remember. And in that remembrance, we realize God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He He doesn't change. There's no change in him. There's no, he, he is who he is and he doesn't change. That consistency, when we look back, we see uh, the victories. We see how God has sustained us. We see his protection. And if we forget that in our times of despair and uncertainty and division, where do we look? Because it's easy to say, well, there's no God because I don't see him right now because my life is in disarray. I don't see him. God doesn't exist. But you take a moment to remember, to look back, and you see his consistency. You see his hand of mercy. You see him leading you through. You see his grace in abundance. So I'm going to use words that are a little harsher than yours because you're a nicer person than me. <laughs> I think I think there are times when people don't see consistency, when they see lots and lots of really terrible things, and they well, see tragedy. Yeah. Where was God? But when you do have the gift of remembrance, you remember that there've been those times before in history. There've been horrible periods of war and oppression and poverty and everything. But, but the mercy of God always emerges. That doesn't erase the tragedy. It doesn't erase the tragedy. But you see that the world is not about to come to a quick end. That this is somehow part of the will of God, that these bumps and grinds in the road are there. In fact, when you read the Hebrew Bible, it's not all peaches and cream. You have all of these predictions that, you know, if you guys are not up to the mission, then there are going to be consequences. We're not supposed to talk about punishment. I hope our corporate sponsor doesn't pull us from the air. We use <laughs> a horrible word. But yes, the consequences, including reward and punishment. And when you, when you are aware of that, when you remember that your people lived with a first temple that was destroyed, lived with a, temple, a second temple that was destroyed, and the Romans thought, this is it. They, they actually imported slaves to tear down the temple mount to show that nothing like it was before. We, Rome, are, 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 the, are, are the victors, and we will remain that way forever. Didn't quite work out that way. You remember that there are things, there are patterns to history. Furthermore, there are other things that you have to remember. There's a there's sort of a paradox. 
Amalek. Remember those guys in the book of Exodus? They 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 attacked they attacked the Jews on the way out of uh, of, of Egypt, and and God says, "Remember, remember what Amalek did to you." And it goes on to say, you know, they attacked your weak, your the your, the rear guard, and and they, they did not fear God. And don't forget, wipe them, wipe the remembrance of Amalek from under the heavens. Duh, what happened? Which is it that we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to wipe out their memory? Or remember them. Paradox, right? Not really. Sometimes the only way that you can get anywhere in the future is if you remember things in the past and you don't allow the, the memory of what evil is able to do from passing from your memory and therefore, you can be committed to obliterating it. But if you just ignore it and say, hey, that was a page in history, you'll never succeed in a realistic view of what the world is about. Amalek was there. And their, their strategy was one of erasing consciousness of God. They may have even been believers, but they said, nothing to do with the world down here. He's up someplace. He's not bothering us. We don't bother him. And here, our raw power is what is what rules and gives us the right to do anything we want, including obliterating human life. You can't obliterate that sense of, of, of human hubris, of, of human arrogance, unless you remember. So the only way to obliterate the evil is to remember that it was there. Maybe the balance is uh, in that phrase, not allowing someone to live rent-free inside your head. In other <laughs> words, uh, there's the remembrance, but there's also the, uh, uh, the place where you allow something to control you because you're living in fear of it. That kind of memory is not the kind of victorious memory that the Bible calls us to. And it brings us to the Passover season. I thought that perhaps, Rabbi, you can, uh, you can help us to remember the importance of Passover. So Passover is uh, in the media regarded as the, the celebration of human freedom. In traditional circles, it certainly isn't. It's the, the idea of freedom in the modern sense is autonomy. No person has the right to enslave another human being. And there are many ways of enslaving human beings. Set them all free. Let my people go. But when they went, when they were let go, they did not go from being slaves of Pharaoh to being free men, free to do whatever they wanted. They passed from one servitude, serving a human being, to serving God. As a matter of fact, the only way they got out is by following the commandments of God the night before they left and going through an elaborate service 
of God. You know, what we call service today, worship service, you try to find connection to God at all. And how is this serving God? It's usually serving some need to, you know, listen listen to, I, I, I just saw a, a description a couple of days ago of a drag queen service in some, yeah, not an Orthodox synagogue. I can tell you that, but besides whatever you whatever you believe about drag queens and library hours for children, how was how was turning the service over to them a service to God? In what sense was it a service? It was a meeting, not a service. Service means that you recognize your frailty, your obligation to God, your connection to God, and there would be. No meaning to Passover if it weren't connected to seven weeks later to the giving of the law at Sinai. And man is only free when Passover is connected to Pentecost, when you become free to, not free from. Mm -hmm. From, and you can do whatever, whatever you think you want. Many of the things that you're going to wind up doing are not necessarily healthy for you, not in this world and not in the next world. But when you become free too, you discover that the real freedom is acting in ways that are consistent with God's mission for you, for God's expectations of you, for the way God created you, for the realities of the way he created human beings, then you can be truly free. That to me is the lesson of Passover. Not the idea of just breaking the shackles of servitude. That is important, and it is a part of the holiday. But it's only part of it. It's the idea that from the get-go, from day one, they they left the service of a human being, and other human beings generally don't act within your interest, and they entered the service of a God who always acts in our interest. That's it. Fabulous. And in the words of American poet and songwriter Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. And that's really <laughs> what, it, what it comes to. You're going to have to serve somebody. The worldview that most aligns with true freedom for all, real tolerance and love, uh, more success and uh, less oppression is a biblical worldview. So that may be what we need to ask ourselves as we come along on this season. Uh, the way that you put it, I will never forget, never quite heard it quite that way, uh, alluding to passing over from the service of man to the service of God. That is a powerful way to look at Passover. And that is truly the hope that we have as we look to the future in these crazy, crazy times. I told you we would give you a message of hope, and surely we did. But that's what we always get with our beloved rabbi, Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. It is such a pleasure to have you always. God bless you. Thank and you. And my privilege to be here. I wish all of you could be here in Jerusalem celebrating with us. Oh, someday, someday, and hopefully soon. God bless. Thank you for watching, listening, liking, and sharing. More news and views at mymichellelive.com.